um, clinical correlation, I guess uh, five important cases on the clinical correlation of the eye, uh, but I put it towards the end of this lecture because um, most times I used to run a bit over five minutes over for the eye lecture, so I cut down some slides and made it short, okay. So uh, I have hidden all the objectives and so on, so we're going to go to the clicker question, first one. Trust me, it's links to histology. Let's say it's cumulative question. Ralph, we could increase the volume a bit, please. Increase the volume a bit. Yes. Yep. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so let us see. Where's the response? What happened to the response? I don't see it. Anyway, so uh, what part is this? Petrous part of the temporal bone. And what is this opening here called? The meatus. Internal acoustic meatus. So we just have to remember that the inner ear that we are going to study about, the cochlea and the vestibule, they are located within this bulge, the petrous part of temporal bone, and the nerves are going to emerge through this area. Make sense? So whatever we are going to study now is called, this is the bony labyrinth, we are going to call it, and those are located in this little bulge, and they are going to emerge right here, and they get into the brainstem, okay? So that's why I put in this image so we can see where we are looking at under microscope. So today's lecture outline on the ear uh, are all these structures. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of details, but when you revise, it's going to come back to you. And by the time you finish the labs, you're going to be a masters of it. Okay. Right. So at this point, it might be a bit a lot of information, especially the eye. But just take it one layer at a time, and, and it's going to be okay. So here we have uh, just a diagram to show you the various parts of the ear. We normally call it external ear, outer ear, middle and internal ear, or the inner ear. Okay, so we can see here the pinna, external auditory canal, and here you will see the tympanic membrane and the three ossicles of the middle ear and they open into the oval window and there is a round window here and you can see the innermost air structures are here okay now we are going to deal with this nerve here called the vestibulocochlear nerve they're going to come out right here so if you imagine the skull picture this was the petrous part of the temporal bone 
and you can see all these are located and these nerves will be emerging at the internal acoustic meatus. Alright, so histology part. Now outermost area, this picture is actually flipped over, so this is on the outside. This is the auditory canal and this is the tympanic membrane. So you can see how it is attached to the malleus, the incus and the stapes right here. And this will be attached to the oval window right here. Okay. Uh, so we have a little line here to outline the middle air cavity containing these three bones. And uh, we, we learnt about a lot of nerves that were present in the lateral wall and so on. Now, if you took a, the, the tympanic membrane and made a section out of it, you will see something like this. It is made up of dense connective tissue. It's almost thick like the dura mater, okay? Now, it con contains type 1 collagen, but on one side, it is made up of thin skin because the skin continues inside. On the other side, we can see fibrous tissue, some vascularity, and you have a single layer of cuboidal epithelium. So, that's what the textbook says. So what is the function of it? So when somebody is talking, uh, sound waves are going through this passage. They're going to cause vibration of the tympanic membrane and they're going to pass through the three ossicles onto the inner ear. So what they do is they magnify the sound, right? And they're going to cause vibration through a small passage that contains fluid. And we're going to call them different names as we go along. So here is tympanic membrane and here is the area. Let us look at, you know, if you, if you put in a scopy through somebody's ears, so tympanic membrane looks like this, a bit shiny. And you can see the malleus, the handle of the malleus right here, attached in this region. All right, so we go on to the middle ear cavity, the three ossicles we just talked about, malleus, incus, and stapes. And you can see the oval window and here we have the round window right here. Now, um, it, it goes on to the next passage. Now we're going to give some names to these channels, right? Bony labyrinth and membranous labyrinth. So whatever is outlined by the bone, you call it bony labyrinth. And inside that, you will have membranes like squamous epithelium lining them. And you're going to call it membranous labyrinth, okay? So internal ear contains two spaces we can call and they are called the labyrinths okay please make note labyrinth bony labyrinth membranous labyrinth so let us take one at each at one at a time so first one is the semicircular canals okay so we all know these are the semicircular canals one is called anterior posterior and lateral anterior posterior and lateral semicircular canals this common area is called the vestibule and this is the cochlea that is twisted. Now this is actually wha what we're looking at is a bony frame. So you call it bony labyrinth. Now if I take a section through it, you will see that there are membranes that are lining inside containing fluid. You're going to call them membranous labyrinth. So these are also called ducts inside those areas. For instance, you have semicircular canals will have semicircular ducts. Within the vestibule, actually, they are utricle and saccule. And in the cochlea, you have a cochlear duct. But here, in general, they are called as labyrinth. So we will see those subdivision in a little bit. So first one here 
is the vestibular labyrinth. The vestibular labyrinth, although it says it includes semicircular canals here, but they are separate entities. Sometimes in textbook it is given this way, and that's why I have put it according to the textbook. All right, so um, what we see here in blue is the bony labyrinth. And we have to understand that all those areas in blue are filled with a fluid called what is it? Perilymph. Okay, perilymph. And those areas that are in brown or orange here contains endolymph. So these are lined by membranes, so they are called membranous labyrinth. So that is what is about. Now here we can look at um, a diagram, of course, to make this simple. Semicircular canals. And the membranous layer inside called the membranous labyrinth. Semicircular canals, semicircular ducts. Vestibule is a bony labyrinth. Utricle and saccule are the membranous labyrinth. And the cochlea is the bony labyrinth. And cochlear duct is the membranous labyrinth. Everybody gets that? So within the bony labyrinth, you will have perilymph. Within this blue area, you contain endolymph. So why is it so important? We are going to see why the, the hair cells are embedded in them and the movement of this endolymph is going to cause certain um, nerve impulses. We will see how it is organized. Alright, so what is the difference between perilymph and endolymph? So perilymph contains high sodium content and low potassium. It's similar to that of extracellular fluid. So you always remember that a cell contains sodium potassium pump, right? A cell constantly keeps pumping sodium out. So outside will have more amount of sodium. So this fluid resembles that one. So high sodium content, a low potassium. So whereas the opposite in truth for endolymph within this area. So that is probably important for uh, the survival of the hair cells, okay, that concentration. So once again, semicircular canals contain semicircular ducts. Vestibule has utricle and saccule, and the cochlea contains the cochlear duct. Now, if you notice, the semicircular canals contain a little bulge towards the vestibule, and these are called ampulla, ampulla of the semicircular canals. That's what is shown here. All right, semicircular canal. You can see these little bulge where they connect to the vestibule is called the ampulla. Within that ampulla you will have Christi ampullaris. We will see what it is made up of in a bit. So what does the bony area contain? Perilymph. Again, we have endolymph within the semicircular ducts. Alright. So we'll go on to the next one. Now, can we identify these to be semicircular canals? Now, they are opening into the vestibule. And there are th two little swellings inside. Those are called the utricle and saccule. And slowly we are building more information. Okay, so area contains endolymph, the blue area. So membranous area contains endolymph, right? utricle and saccule. Now, can we identify the oval window and round window? And this, there is a continuation of the sac into the cochlea and that is the cochlear duct. You can see how it continues down here and the location of the oval and round window. So sound waves travel, they get amplified and they're going to cause movement within these endolymph fluid. And we will see how it runs through the cochlea to cause the sound sensation in a little bit. 
all right so now we have to know about the hair cells which is very important because these are the ones that causes the perception of sound now we're going to see where the hair cells are located within these three structures and how they are organized and movement of which is stimulated by uh, which nerve cells so basically there are two types of cells one is called the sensory hair cells other supporting cell so here we can see supporting cells in the epithelium and these are the sensory hair cells now these are almost like neurons right and they can see nerve nerve afferent fibers towards the base of these cells there are two types shown here as type 1 and type 2 sensory hair cells now you don't have to know these types in histology but it's nice to just observe how the nerve endings are arranged in this region if you look at the apex of the cell you can see this little hair like processes and these are stereocilia you remember what stereocilia means what is microvilli extension of epical cell membrane a microvilli motile microvilli are they motile cilia are motile right microvilli are non-motile structures so extended microvilli are called stereocilia so these are extended microvilli they are called stereocilia but you can see that one little structure towards the back of all the stereo is called the kinocilium which is a true cilium so this is a motile structure and you can see how all of these are attached to them and they look like hair bundles on the apex of each cell so therefore they are called hair cells now they are called sensory because these ends are embedded within the endolymph make sense so endolymph these will be embedded in the endolymph so these are all filled with endolymph now so if you are going to rotate your head the endolymph moves and they're going to move these these processes okay so when these move now they are going to cause stimulation of these nerve fibers and these are now conducted to the cell body of that particular neuron make sense so these are the hair cells now these might vary in these um, various structures but it's just an example of sensory hair cell so you can see how when the endolymph moves these processes if the kinocilium is moved towards this side or all of them move to one side you can see it's called excitatory sensation so when it goes to the opposite direction direction it's called the inhibitory uh, sensation okay so those all are going to interpret either the equilibrium or the sound conduction based on where they are going to be located all right so let us go back to some basics here so here we have the semicircular canals and they are dilated and this area I called as ampulla and the vestibule you had utricle and saccule okay so within the ampulla you will have sensory hair cells and they are oriented in such a fashion that they are called as Christi ampullaris Christi ampullaris since you have three semicircular canals you have three ampullae in plural so we call them Christi ampullaris whereas in utricle and saccule they are called macula so in plural they are called maculae so two maculae are present within the vestibule alright uh, whereas in in the cochlea you just call them the spiral organ of corti the hair cells alright so let us see how it appears in scanning electron micrograph so these are all stereocilia and there is one kinocilium 
you can see some of them are short and they go on getting taller towards the back towards the kinocelium so this represents the polarity of the cell so once there is movement of the endolymph these all are moving along with the kinocelium and therefore that is transmitted as electrical impulse towards the cell body and this one goes to the brain as vestibular nerve or is it cochlear nerve based on where these are located okay so movement causing electrical impulse and therefore they are called mechanoelectric transducers these hair cells all right so uh, cross section through the apical region shows that these are all stereocilia so therefore they will have what within the core actin filaments if you remember actin filaments will be found here whereas in this kinocelium what you will find microtubules very good so you still remember histology good so this is microtubules all right so hair cells of the inner ear so let us see cristae ampullaris where uh, where is this located semicircular ducts and maculae in the vestibule all right now this is important to know that because when you go to the neuroscience this module you'll be doing circular chair um, you know those checking equilibrium and so on so you have to know which one is causing uh, these um, sensations all right so the first one here we can see cristae ampullaris in the semicircular canals but these hair cells are not like these you see hair bundles are kind of sticking out from the apical aspect and they will be enclosed within the endolymph you're going to call it cupola in a little bit all right so utricle and sacule unlike this one contains the structure we just described so you can see how these processes are embedded within the endolymph and there are some little floating particles that stabilizes the endolymph like a membrane right here so you can see the kinocelium the tallest process and these are all the stereocilia we just talked about so beautiful here okay so this is how it is organized inside so let us just imagine this part okay cristae ampullaris where is it located in the dilated portions the ampullar portions of semicircular ducts so we are going to look at this portion first and these area are called cristae ampullaris and if you zoom into that particular area you're going to look for this endolymph passing through this passage where it is dilated you can see it is en engulfed in the brown area isn't it we said that the brown areas contain endolymph so this projection is along with the flow of the endolymph right here and we can see the hair bundles or from the sensory hair cells located here so this is within the ampulla dilated portion and they contain this this little cup like structure called the cupola right so it contains gelatinous substance and all these hair bundles are embedded in it so if somebody is going to turn their head around the endolymph is going to flow this way or in this way based on which semicircular canal is rotating right and they are going to cause movement of the hair cells and then the brain will perceive the sensation as this head is moving in an accelerated uh, uh, direction okay so we're going to see for example you can angular acceleration of the head meaning um, twisting or action of the body okay so you can see movement of the endolymph causing stimulation of hair cells and the brain will perceive it as a rotation of the head right angular acceleration so here we can see some of the sections from the cristae ampullaris this is the location of the cupola and you will have endolymph flowing all through this region 
So the second one is the macula. Macula is located within the utricle and saccule. So unlike the other hair cells, these ones are the ones we studied about having kinocelium and shorter stereocilia. And you can see how these are all sticking into again a gelatinous substance. You call it autolithic membrane. So these are the hair cells type 1, 2 and these are the supporting cells. And outside here will be the endolymph. And the endolymph is stabilized by small carbonate part, calcium carbonate crystals or particles. These are called the autoconia. So these are the autoconia shown here in the, in the scanning electron micrograph. And these will stabilize the endolymph in this region. So whenever you have linear acceleration, something like towards the gravity, you bend and pick up things, linear acceleration, movement of these occur in the utricle and saccule and therefore these will cause movement of the kinocilium and cause sensations taken to the brain and the brain perceives it as movement forward okay, towards the gravity. So one is angular acceleration, one is for linear acceleration which you will be tested on in neuroscience. Probably you will study more about that. So now we will go on to the structure of the cochlea. So here, what we see here is the bony labyrinth called the cochlea. Within the cochlea, you will see a membranous tube that runs inside it. We call the cochlear duct, which is also called the scala media right here. Okay, So we will see why it is called in a little bit. Now, the center of this contains a bony projection. We're going to call it the modiolus. Some people call it modiolus, whatever you want to call it. It is a central projection. And it has a lateral plate called the spiral lamina that runs around like this, like a spiral staircase. And towards the end of the spiral lamina, you will see this membranous tube that is running or it's enclosed within the bony capsule. So this entire tube is running like two and a half turns in this spiral lamina and it terminates towards the end. Okay. Now, this entire thing we call as cochlea, but the tube inside is called a cochlear duct or membranous labyrinth. So this uh, membranous labyrinth is covered by simple squamous epithelium. Right? So we just have to imagine, I will show you in the next image how we can understand this. Right? So here the sound waves are coming in. They are amplified by the three ossicles. And this part is the cochlea. This is the one that is twisted two and a half times around the central bony projection called the modiolus. So what we are looking at is the blue tube. So within the long blue tube that is filled with perilymph, now you're going to insert a membrane that is going to pass through the middle and end towards the tip. So this membranous sheath is now called the scala media. So now this sheet divides this passage as scala vestibuli, and scala tympani, and scala media. So if you take a section through this region and you're looking at it attached to the spiral lamina, you're going to see that the tube contains an uh, area above called the scala vestibuli, and scala tympani, and scala media is in the middle. So this is the area that is bounded by membranes. So therefore, we can see there are two layers back to back. So this area lined by simple squamous epithelium, another one lined by simple squamous epithelium, and the tympanic membrane here contains simple cuboidal epithelium, okay? A bacillar membrane, sorry. 
it's a tympanic, it's a bacillar membrane. So we're going to call this as Reisner's membrane or vestibular membrane, and this is the bacillar membrane, okay? And this is the scala media. This is where the hair cells will be located, all right? Hair cells will be located. So uh, let us go through one more concept. The blue area is filled with perilymph. The orange area is filled with endolymph. So therefore, scala vestibuli and tympani are going to contain perilymph, whereas endolymph is flowing through the scala media. And the concentration of this endolymph is maintained by a vascular epithelium called as triavascularis. So this is the only epithelium that's vascularized in our body. Normally, we say that epithelium is avascular. So they will alter the content of the endolymph so that the hair cells can have an optimal environment to survive in. All right. So uh, we're going to look at this um, organ of Corti, we're going to call it, that is responsible for all the sensation of hearing in, in another slide. Okay. So we are taking this tube and we are wrapping it around the modeolus. And the cell bodies for all these perception are located right here within the modeolus close to the spiral lamina. So we're going to call them the spiral ganglion. What is a ganglion? Collection of nerve cell bodies outside the CNS, right? So here we're calling them the spiral ganglion because they are running around the spiral um, area, a lamina. All right, so let us apply um, this little more, more information on this passage, okay? So here we are going to the scalar vestibuli, goes to the top and it turns around and comes back as scala tympani. So the area where this fluid gets continuous is called helicotrema. Helicotrema. So this is the bacillar membrane and this is where the hair cells are located and this is actually showing under which frequency this membrane is going to vibrate okay, to cause the sensation of hearing. So here we can see the hair cells are being attached to the bacillar membrane and we're going to see that the hair cells are arranged as inner hair cells and outer hair cells okay and uh, the they will be supported by pillar cells and the pillar cells lean on each other forming a tunnel so this is called the tunnel of corti tunnel of corti the entire area is called the organ of corti right so here we have the ricinous membrane also called the vestibular membrane so this membrane separates the scalar vestibuli from scalar media and bacillar membrane separates the scalar media from scalar tympani. So scalar is just a tube area okay, that runs all the way to the front and then comes back when it reaches the helicotrema. Now this area is called a spiral lamina and close to the spiral lamina there is a small hill-like area called a spiral limbus. And this limbus gives attachment to this gelatinous membrane called the tectorial membrane. So just like the other hair cells we saw in the vestibule and semicircular canals, this tectorial membrane now is attached to the hair bundles of the hair cells. Okay? So when there is movement of the hair cells, now these are attached firmly to the gelatinous material. So movement of these cells will now stimulate these nerve fibers that are attached to the base of these cells and they will produce uh, electrical impulse. So that is how hearing occurs. So let us add some more information as to, uh, this is pretty much the same diagram, but what we can um, add is that high frequency sounds
causes maximum displacement of the base of the basilar membranes. Um, how it makes sense is that the sound intensity is so high that it can travel through the vestibular scala vestibuli, come back and still stimulate the tympani and therefore we can see it stimulates the basal aspect and the high frequency. Whereas low frequency can only reach the apex. It doesn't have the intensity to come back all the way to the base again. So it stimulates the apical aspect of the cochlea. Sometimes you might see this question in neuroscience. Alright, so here we can see one long membrane, bacillar membrane. And now here it is twisted into the cochlea two and a half times. And this is the tip of it, that's the base of it. And if you take a section through it, we are looking at the scala media, also called the membranous labyrinth, and contains the organ of corti. And this is the tectorial membrane, inner hair outer hair cells. Please note that the outer hair cells have three rows of hair cells. Inner hair cell has only one row of hair cells. Now what happens is that the outer hair cells, the way it is arranged, they need something like finger-shaped cells to sit on. So these are called the phalangeal cells. They look like fingers. They're called phalangeal cells. And they will raise them up, and they are embedded into the tectorial membrane. So these are the pillar cells I talked about, inner pillar cell, outer pillar cell. So they lean on each other, so they support the hair cells, and they produce a tunnel. We call it the tunnel of corti. Now, there are other cells discovered by Henson, Claudius, and Butcher, but we don't know yet what their functions are, okay? So you don't have to worry about them. Just know that inner hair cell, outer hair cell, pillar cell, phalangeal, phalangeal cells, you're good. So here again, it shows the passage of sound waves in the perilymph, the scala media, scala, sorry, scala vestibuli. It comes down to the helicotrema, passes through the scala tympani, and we can see that it will cause vibration of the basilar membrane and stimulation of the hair cells. So we have a little bit of animation to show you in the next slide. And this is pretty much the same thing. What is shown in the diagram is applied on to a real histological slide. So we have a diagram here to apply it on this one. Now whatever we call inner is towards the spiral limbus. So this is the spiral limbus, stectorial membrane. Hair cells, inner hair cell, outer hair cells, you can see how they are. These are the phalangeal cells, and these are the pillar cells and tunnel of corti. So what would you call this membrane? Bacillar membrane, okay? Bacillar membrane. That is where all these cells are located, and we call them organ of corti. Where is organ of corti located? And is it in scala vestibuli, scala media, or scala tympani? in the scala media, okay? That's where organ of corti is. What makes up organ of corti? Inner, outer hair cells and the pillar cells. So these are the, these are what is called organ of corti. All right, so this is a beautiful picture to show you the outer hair cells. You can see they're arranged in three rows. So you just have to imagine that it is a long sheet running all the way from the base to the apex of the cochlea, the same arrangement. And so we are looking at it from the side, and you can see these are the phalangeal cells, and the outer hair cells will be sitting on top of these hair cells, uh, or phalangeal cells. And you can see they have a little plate called apical cuticular plate, so they form kind of a support towards the apical aspect. So inner hair cells, outer hair cells, three rows, and these are all fused apical plates around this region. Okay? 
So everybody understands how sound waves are uh, stimulating the hair cells. All right, so scalar vestibuli, scalar tympani, and this is now called the cochlear duct, otherwise scalar media or the membranous labyrinth. All right, so here we go. You can see how sound waves are passing through scalar vestibuli, and they are passing back through tympani, and they are stimulating the basilar membrane, and the basilar membrane is shaking because of those vibrations, and the hair cells are moving against tectorial membrane, and they're going to send the impulses towards the cell bodies right here. Okay, so you will have bipolar neurons located in the spiral ganglion. So these are the hair cells highlighted, and these are the nerve fibers. So these will be the dendrites of those afferent neurons. So can we just imagine that this is the tube, it's a section of another one. So two and a half time twisted is the same tube shown here and here. This is the spiral ganglion at this location. This is called the modiolus. So now I want to add some more information. This is the scala media, also called the cochlear duct. Can we all see where the organ of corti is? It's right here, okay, organ of corti. So if I zoom into that, you will just see only the hair cells, pillar cells, and so on. So we have to understand that this is the modiolus or modiolus, whatever you call it. So here are the spiral ganglion that contain the bipolar neurons. And those uh, dendrites will be located right here under the hair cells. And the axons will be coming out here. And the collection of those axons make up the cochlear nerve. Okay? It's a very important concept to understand. So here we go. That is the scala media zoomed in, basilar membrane, vestibular membrane, scala media, organ of corti, tectorial membrane. So normally this membrane rests on the hair cells. Okay? Histological preparation, it has been reflected. So this is what is called spiral limbus. This is spiral lamina. Spiral lamina is a bony plate projecting from the modiolus. Okay. Why? Any questions? Triavascularis is the epithelium on the lateral aspect. And this area is called a spiral ligament. because It, it kind of supports the basilar membrane to the lateral aspect organ of corti. So time for you to identify them. Can you identify this one? Vestibular membrane. This membrane? Basilar membrane. So we all know this is called the organ of corti. What is this one? Tectorial membrane. What did we call this space? Scala vestibuli. V for victory on top. Okay, vestibuli. Tympani is right here in the bottom. So what is in the middle would be scalamedium. All right. So here is the uh, striae vascularis, and this is spiral ligament right here. All this is bone. If you remember the histology of bone, you can see the osteons and some osteocytes right here. All right. The concept of formation of cochlear nerve. So these are all collection of nerve cell bodies, bipolar neurons, a spiral ganglion. So these will be the dendrites, cell bodies, and this will be the axons. And all these axons will become the cochlear nerve. They will now join those nerve fibers that are coming out from the semicircular ducts and the vestibular labyrinth as vestibular cochlear nerve. And they will emerge out through internal acoustic meatus. Okay. So let's take a question before we continue. 
for those people who are doing this topic for the first time, the eye and the ear, it's going to be a little challenging, you know, but it'll fall in place. Okay. All right. So we can see the inner uh, neuroepithelial hair cells were found only on the basilar membrane, right? And we said that that was the scala media, that space inside, because they have to be facing the endolymph. They need the endolymph for their survival. Okay, scala media is the right answer. So that completes the eye and ear. So we're going to go and look at some of the clinical aspects. Okay, so if you have any doubts, you can ask. If not, we can just run through some of the clinical aspects. And it makes sense why we studied all this in so much depth. Alright, so we said that the sound waves are passing through this um, external, the auditory tube, and it's going to stimulate all these. And we talked about perception of sound by the inner hair cells that are located in the cochlea. And the nerve is now running up. We will learn about a slim pathway where it goes into the auditory cortex. You will soon learn about the superior um, olivary nucleus, lateral lemniscus, I believe, and all that, okay? Uh, slim pathway, you'll remember that later on. So there are two types of deafness based on uh, sound conduction here, okay? So you can see if there is a piece of wax that is blocking the conduction of sound, then you call it conduction deafness. You're not able to hear because the sound doesn't pass through this region. Whereas if there is any tumor that is compressing these nerve fibers and prevents them from entering into the brain, then you call it sensory neural deafness. So not only tumors, if there is any death of hair cells, also will fall under the category of sensory neural deafness. For example, loud sounds. Sound is measured as decibels. You can see normal conversation. You have this is the optimal sound. If anything excessive, persistent excessive sounds can cause damage to the hair cells. So you can see uh, death of hearing tissue occurs at 180 decibels. All right, as for the eye, we'll first start with the corneal transplants. All right, so we can look at a cornea here. You can see it has become opaque because of injury, inflammation, or increased vascularity following injury or inflammation. So we can do a corneal grafting in this region. And uh, remember that cornea normally is avascular, so there is less amount of immunological response. Therefore, we can easily transplant cornea. So some of the indications are shown here. Corneal degeneration, if there is abnormal shape to the cornea, you can transplant it or injury to it due to uh, trauma or inflammation called keratitis. So there are three types of transplant we can do. It can be partial or full thickness corneal transplant. It's called keratoplasty. All right, so let us see some pictures of how cornea is being cut right here and is being replaced on another patient and they have sutured this towards the outside. So that is corneal grafting. Uh, cataract is a condition where the lens becomes opaque. So we are looking at um, a pupil. If you just examine somebody's eye, normally it is black because the um, light goes all the way into the retina. But if there is coagulation of proteins, the crystalline proteins that are normally found within the lens, if it gets coagulated, it becomes whitish and cloudy. And it takes uh, a little bit time. So you call it immature cataract to mature ca cataract. 
So we can see how a matured cataract it is, is removed, is taken off, leaving the lens capsule behind. And you can place an uh, intraocular lens in its location. And that is what is being done for cataracts uh, in cataract surgeries. Okay. So that is clouding or clumping of the protein. That is the crystalline protein. So not only um, uh, metabolic conditions like diabetes can promote that kind of coagulation, but there are other metabolic disorders or congenital causes. And we won't go into all those in detail, but you will study them eventually. And some drugs, if you apply like corticosteroid drops in the eye for a long time, or even intake of corticosteroids for a prolonged period of time can cause um, cataracts, okay, antipsychotic drugs. The next condition is the glaucoma. So let us go into this area where the formation of aqueous humor occurs. And there is a um, lot of aqueous humor produced. But due to some kind of obstruction at this angle, the fluid is unable to drain into the canal of Schlem. So that is uh, that's causing accumulation of fluid inside. And that causes uh, increased pressure within the eye. It's called increased intraocular pressure. And this pressure can reflect onto the dura, the meningeal coverings, and therefore can cause headaches. All right, so visual impairment, headaches, and um, and photophobia. All right. So if you look at the fundus, it means looking at the back of the retina is called a fundal examination. So if you look at a normal fundus, you can see this is the optic nerve coming through the optic disc, and this is the macular lutea with fovea. But in this case, you can see there is disturbance to the optic cup. So one look at it, we know that they have glaucoma because of increased pressure to this region. And this is a machine called tonometry. Um, procedure is called tonometry. That's a tonometer by which we can measure the intraocular pressure. Retinal detachment concept, we went about uh, 10 layers of the retina. And when there is a healing of the retina due to severe dehydration, right? The, the vitreous humor gets uh, kind of dehydrated and it shrinks and it drags the layers of retina along with it. So we, we should remember that the rods and cones are not fixed to the retinal pigment epithelial layer. So during the process of retinal detachment, these all these layers are peeled off from the retinal pigment epithelial layer. So that is um, retinal detachment. So these conditions can cause retinal detachments and please remember the histology that all these layer the three layers of the neurons are peeled off from the retinal pigment epithelial region so here we call the fundoscopy we are looking at the back of the eye and more and more you look at it more and more you know what is normal so you're going to look at the features of the blood vessel wall and if there are any changes called flame shaped hemorrhages or cotton wool appearance and all that you will see under hypertension and diabetes. Slowly you will learn to recognize what normal blood vessels look like and what abnormal blood vessel pattern looks like. Okay, So more and more you will know that this is going to be a normal fundoscopic appearance and thereby you can identify when something looks a bit abnormal. So probably this becomes avascular region because of some arterial occlusion to that region. Okay and then retinal detachment you can see how the layers of retina get separated from the rest okay sand dune appearance so those are just um, extra information 
from what we learned today. All right, so this is just for you to recap on your own time right, and practice. So that's about it. Thank you so much. See you in the lab. Thanks. <laughs>